If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Paul's letter to the Galatians, one of his letters to the churches that he helped establish on his missionary journey. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word this morning. We ask that you would be pleased to make known to us in your word and by your spirit both what we are to believe about you as well as what duty you require of us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today we are at week number seven in our ongoing series, The Gospel According to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians. Why are we doing this? Well, in some ways, there are a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. You remember earlier we did a series through Mark because we wanted to know who Jesus is and what he came to do and how we should respond. And in a similar way, we just as Mark focused on Jesus. Um, Galatians focuses on his message, the gospel. The gospel is good news from Jesus about salvation in Jesus. And the gospel both creates and sustains the church. Now, corporate worship on the Lord's Day reorients the church to the gospel. At the very beginning of each new week, the gospel is here front and center. Indeed, corporate worship is a representation of the gospel. We, we hear about who God is and, and who man is and, and what sin is and has done and what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done. And there's always in everything a summons to, to turn from sin and to turn to faith in Christ. We need to be reoriented. We need a representation of the gospel because we forget. I forget. And I need to be reminded. For many people, through the years, through the centuries, Galatians, whether they were hearing Galatians preached, whether they were reading Galatians, whether they were studying it, has served as a major breakthrough in their spiritual lives as they've discovered or in many cases rediscovered that Christianity was first and foremost not about what they had to do for God, but rather first and foremost about what God had done for them in Jesus Christ. Remember Paul, the converted Pharisee, the one who persecuted the church, is now planting churches, and he's been sent out to minister primarily among the Gentiles, and he made several missionary journeys all around from Israel, from uh, Jerusalem, out uh, to the Mediterranean world. And in those journeys, he planted churches in Galatia, the southern Roman province that's in modern-day Turkey. He planted churches through the preaching of the gospel. And he's now writing to those churches to counter those who taught that Christians must not only believe in Jesus, but they must also keep the Old Testament law in order to be accepted by God. So he he writes to counter those false teachings, but also 
in doing so to defend the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Remember, the first two chapters is Paul's personal defense of his gospel ministry, an autobiography. Chapters 3 and 4 are Paul's theological defense of the gospel message, primarily theology. And the last two chapters are Paul's practical application of the gospel message to his readers' lives or ethics. Autobiography, theology, and ethics. Put in one sentence, it goes like this. Galatians is about what God has done teaches us what we should believe and how we should live. All of this is done in support of Paul's primary purpose of drawing attention to and defending the truth of the gospel. Remember the theme of Galatians, one word, faith, expanded out a bit, justification by faith. Last week and the week before, we took a look at Galatians 2.16, which reads, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We will see embedded in and running throughout Galatians the biblical teaching about salvation from sin and death that characterized the work of the Reformers, the 500th anniversary of the start we are celebrating this month. And what was that theme? What was the the, the theme of the work of the Reformers? Well, justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and all for the glory of God alone. Something that that insert will help us grow in our understanding and appreciation. Last week, we looked at chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, taking justification by faith personally. And we saw that justification by faith is not just a doctrine out there, it's also something in here that we rest upon, that we receive, that we rejoice over. It's not by works. It's through faith, by faith. It was of verse 16 that Martin Luther writes these words. This is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Well, today, we're going to see how Paul, because of his love for those to whom he has preached and proclaimed Jesus Christ, continued to, as it were, beat the truth of the gospel in general, and justification by faith in particular, into the heads of those in the Galatian churches then, and to all churches among now, including grace and peace. Listen now as I read the first nine verses of chapter three. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Look at verse 1. An accusation from a friend. Now growing up, I remember my mother telling me several times, that there were a few words I was not supposed to use, especially when talking with people. I wasn't supposed to call someone stupid. I was not supposed to call someone an idiot. I was not supposed to call someone a fool. I can just see that. Yes, I called my sister stupid, and I was told that's not exactly how you should address your sister. It's too bad I didn't know the Bible um, as well back then because believe it or not, these are biblical words. Paul isn't afraid to use these words because this is what is needed when he finds the Galatian church is turning from the gospel. Earlier, he was astonished. They were departing. They were leaving. In chapter 1, verse 6, he was astonished. There's spiritual treason, as it were, but now he sees also spiritual folly. Paul began his letter with a rebuke. He's been forceful thus far, and now he's going to get personal, and he uses those words. In this first verse, Paul is telling those he loves, you are foolish. One of the earlier translators, it's actually a paraphrase more than a translation, J.B. Phillips, has, a, has an interesting way to capture verses 1 and 3. He says this, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. Now, Paul isn't calling into question their conversion. He's assuming it. Rather, he is calling into question their understanding of the gospel. Paul is so upset because they are forgetting. As far as Paul is concerned, the Galatians were guilty of sheer spiritual stupidity. Now, one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite John Wayne movies, is The Sands of Iwo Jima. You may remember that. Sergeant Stryker has got to whip a few new recruits in the Marine Corps into shape because the battle is coming, and he's got this classic line. He says to one of the privates, life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. Well, Paul is saying that life is not only tough, But if you're stupid, Galatians, it is spiritually dangerous. Think about it. Life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. And again, Paul is warning the Galatians. You are are headed into spiritually dangerous territory. You are being foolish. But there's a reason if they need to blame someone for their foolishness. You know, it's interesting, Um, Paul is addressing them, but he's also going to 
come along and say, you know, there's a reason I believe you're so foolish because you are being bewitched. You are under the influence of false teaching. And indeed, we know that the enemies out there are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And why do we sin? Well, we sin because we choose to sin. It's our own fault. But behind that and above that is the deceitfulness of the the father of lies, isn't it? It's both us acting sinfully, or in this case, foolishly, and it's it's this bewitching, this, this casting a spell, this idea of being under the influence of an evil eye, the original language is communicating. That false teaching, which is bewitching them, is saying that we have to add the law of Moses to faith in Jesus Christ to produce a Jesus plus gospel. Now, you know, I get the cheapest gas. Do you guys get the cheapest gas? But I'm always tempted, you know, here's the plus, and the plus is usually about 18 cents more. Is it really going to do more for me? Am I going to get better gas mileage? I mean, it's very tempting. Anytime you see something plus, it's enticing. But when you see Jesus plus, it's dangerous, and that's what Paul is doing. Because he's saying that the, the false teachers are reintroducing the gravitational pull towards self-justification through efforts and accomplishments that all of us are born with, and all of us till the day we die are going to have to battle. The false teachers, remember, that we will see more about later, are not advocating that faith in Christ is not necessary. Rather, they're saying that faith in Christ is not enough. It's subtle, but it's there. Paul wants to break the spell by reminding them first of three features of his past preaching. First, he reminds them of Christ. He's a person, remember? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He wants to remind them, first of all, of Jesus Christ because the gospel is about a person. Remember Mark's shortest catechism. What's question number one? Who is Jesus? Paul wants to break the spell by reminding them of who Jesus is, but also what Jesus has done. Question number two in Mark's shortest catechism. There's the cross, the crucifixion. It was before your eyes, through my preaching, Paul is saying, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What did They preach on the day of Pentecost, Jesus Christ crucified. What do all gospel preachers preach? Jesus Christ crucified. And it's not only Christ and the cross, but it's crystal clear. It's publicly portrayed. There's no secret knowledge, no hidden agenda. It's out public. It's graphically and vividly before their eyes. It's Placarded. It's like going down the interstate and seeing big billboards that say Jesus Christ crucified. In this reminder, notice that the essence of the message that Paul has preached and will remind them is not how to live, but rather what Jesus has done on the cross. 
Now, the Christian is not just someone who knows something about Jesus, but someone who has seen Jesus, as it were, on the cross for them. As the quote in the something to think about quote, I think, helps us remember. Paul is saying that the gospel, remember, is a declaration before it gives direction. Paul's preaching presented a heart-moving but rationally clear presentation of Jesus' work on the cross. Now, the Galatians are foolish because they should know better. They should know the truth, both from their own experience and from the teaching of Scripture. So let's now turn to the first phase of Paul's argument, an argument from experience. Paul here is making a personal appeal. He asks questions, and in doing so, he's forcing them to think. He is not asking them how they feel. He's giving a series of rapid rhetorical questions about initiation into the Christian life, the completion of the Christian life, persecution in the Christian life, and the miraculous. Those of you who like English literature, of course, know the great quote from Act 3, Scene 1 of Hamlet by William Shakespeare. To be or not to be, help me out kids, that is the question. However, for Paul, the question, the main question is this, and we see it in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Main question, only this, two choices, works of the law or hearing with faith. The single issue, does a Christian receive the Holy Spirit by working the law or by hearing with faith? Now, receive the Spirit, what kind of language is that? Well, when we speak of conversion, the early church spoke of this. In Acts 2, chapter 38, we read this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, it's just one way to say being converted, receiving the Spirit. But we also see the expression works of the law. It was introduced first in Chapter 2, verse 16, whether it's referring to circumcision, food laws, or, or law in general. And here you see also hearing with faith. Earlier, Paul is contrasting it three times in, in chapter 2, verse 16. And, and I believe that, that he's talking to Peter, but of course he's, he's, um, he's writing this letter. And so he wants everybody to hear that conversation because he says, we know. We know, and now he's turning it to the Galatian church. Hearing with faith is the contrast to working the law. With this, one question, only this, it should be over, right? But Paul doesn't stop. He continues with three additional questions. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Three more rapid-fire questions. 
But in this last question, the main question is repeated by works of the law or by hearing with faith. But notice that the point of view has changed. It's no longer them doing, but rather them receiving. Excuse me, that God, it's not them receiving, but God rather giving supplies, working miracles. Paul in verse 2 and in verse 5 is saying the same thing from their perspective and from God's perspective. Now, why does Paul ask this series of questions? Because he wants the Galatian church to think, to recall, to remember Have you ever thought about one way you can serve one another and one way you can minister to one another is just asking questions? Just asking questions. Now, you've got to have the relationship built up to ask questions that may at first cause someone to step back. But if God is at work in their life, those questions they are going to be very thankful for because in order to answer them, you've got to go back to the cross you got to go back to Jesus. Again, it's important to remember that these false teachers are not saying that faith in Christ is not necessary. Rather, they are advocating that faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. My friends, that is the same message that we are hearing all around us. And that is often a message that we're hearing from ourselves. What is the gospel of this group of false teachers? Where... In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it's pretty clear. They say this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, it's Jesus plus. One commentator, John Stott, says this, quote, They, referring to the false teachers, did not deny that you must believe in Jesus for salvation, but they stressed that you must be circumcised and keep the law as well. In other words, you must let Moses finish what Christ has begun, or rather, you yourself must finish by your obedience to the law what Christ has begun. You must add your works to the work of Christ. You must finish Christ's unfinished work. My friends, how do you know when enough is enough? If we didn't have the truth of the gospel before us of Christ crucified and risen, ascended and promising to return, if we didn't have that, we would have a life with no rest, no assurance. How much is enough? Although Paul begins with experience, he doesn't end there. He now turns to the truth of the scriptures upon which their experience was based. And in doing so, he moves from questions to statements. Look with me at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul brings Abraham into the discussion. It is a master stroke. It is brilliant because the opponents will not be able to refute Abraham. For the Judaizers, Moses is their teacher, but they acknowledge that Abraham is the father of all in the faith. We heard in our earlier Reading from Genesis 12, the call and the promise, and chapters 15, the covenant, and chapter 17, the sign of the covenant. And in chapter 15, verse 6, 
we read of Abraham, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, give it a promise of land, of descendants, of blessing. Abraham was given a promise. And what did he do? He demonstrated belief. He believed God and he cast himself on his faithfulness. His faith was reckoned or counted as righteousness. It was a legal position, a status, and a standing. Abraham is being justified here as a worker. No, it's not as a worker, but rather as a believer. Remember, Abraham was counted as righteous before the Lord before, long time before circumcision. The circumcision was a sign of God's covenant. Abraham is demonstrating saving faith because belief in God is not saving faith. In James chapter 2, we believe that we read this that the demons themselves believe in God. But Abraham believes God. It's faith in God Himself, and from God Himself, His promise. His provision. It is not faith in our performance. Abraham is a model for us in faith. His son's birth is a miracle. There's this mysterious oath that we could have read about in chapter 15 where God would accomplish his salvation even if it meant his own death. And my friends, the New Testament opens up the reality that God did accomplish salvation through his own death. The promises depend wholly on God. Abraham believed God. We read it in Galatians, in Romans, and James brings it to bear as well. Abraham is going to be someone who lives by faith. Remember chapter 2, verse 20? What did we read? Paul said, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Paul understands justification by faith. He's defending it. He's also saying, I live by faith. And then later, next week in chapter two, 3, verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The justified person lives by faith. Not only are we justified by faith, but we also live by faith. It's the beginning to the end of the Christian life. We don't begin by, with faith and then proceed to grow and advance through our own works. It's the gospel from start to finish. As someone has rightly said, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to the Z. And we're getting that here from Paul. When did Abraham move on from faith to works? When? What did chapter 11 of Hebrews say? He died still in faith. He lived by faith until the end when for him faith became sight. My friends, the Galatians should have known better. Both from their own experience and the scriptures. Well, what have we seen here in these verses? We've seen Paul livid, angry, but it's because he cares. He first accuses them of being bewitched and foolish, but then he argues. He argues 
for the position of the truth of the gospel. He asked them to examine themselves. He asked them to examine the scriptures. We are being asked to examine ourselves. We are being asked to examine the scriptures. Shakespeare got it wrong. Despite being considered one of the most famous quotations in all of world literature, to be or not to be is not the question. The question for us today is this. Do we have a saving, right relationship with God by the works of the law? Fill in the blank. Put your own works in there. Is it by works of the law or is it hearing by faith? Hearing what? Hearing what? The gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the good news of salvation from sin and death through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember, the gospel is not good advice. It is good news. Before it gives direction, it gives. it is a declaration. In his book, written in 1936, The Christian Faith in the Modern World, J. Gresham Machen wrote these words. What I need, first of all, is not exhortation, but a gospel. Not directions for saving myself, but knowledge of how God has saved me. Have you any good news? That is the question that I ask of you. I know your exhortations will not help me. But if anything has been done to save me, will you not tell me the facts? Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons we are gathered together and called together as a church is so that we can tell one another the facts over and over and over again. Is it any wonder that the author to the letter to the Hebrews is calling us to run the race that is set before us? When he does, he calls us to do what? To look to Jesus, the founder of and finisher of our faith, the author and the perfecter of our faith, to look to Jesus and his cross. My friends, don't be fooled. The Christian life from beginning to end, from start to finish, is lived by faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. Rest assured on that. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we are stupid, when we are idiots, when we are foolish, you in your mercy and grace bring us back to the truth of the gospel. Oh, Father, would you please give us a desire to be wise, to be smart, as it were, to be uh, gripped by the truth of the gospel. Oh, Father, it is tempting to believe and trust in a Jesus plus. Father, for as we sing often, all we have is Christ. And Jesus and his grace is enough. Help us, God, we pray in his name. Amen.